0: It's another episode of Houston We Have Prospects, a podcast about the Houston Astros minor league system. I'm Sam Levitt, a radio broadcaster for the AA Corpus Christi Hooks, and we are inching closer and closer to spring training. You know it's always getting close when the Astros caravan starts making the rounds. Hopefully some of you have checked out one of the stops along the way, met some players, and had some fun. As always, if you have any suggestions of who we should have on the podcast, you can tweet at me at SammyLev, S-A-M-M-Y-L-E-V. A couple of suggestions over the last few weeks. I promise I'm working on it, and hopefully we'll have uh, a number of different players and coaches on before spring training begins. Well, if you were in Corpus Christi on Thursday of this week, you may have seen our guest on this episode, and that's Astros radio voice, Robert Ford, who you can hear all season on Sports Talk 790 in Houston, and along the Astros radio network, Robert obviously now plays a big part in some of the most memorable moments in Astros history, including the final out of the Astros World Series Championship, which he called many, many other moments from What was quite simply an amazing postseason and World Series. Really a ton of great things I got to with Robert from what it was like to call the Astros run to his outlook on the major storylines right now heading into spring training. We obviously get to the minor leagues as well. I asked Robert about when he got to the team in 2013 and watching the evolution of the organization and what was going on in the minor league system. And Robert himself spent a number of years working in the minor league. So we talk about his journey and how closely he and Steve Sparks keep up with what's happening in the Astros system right now. So let's hear from New York native, Syracuse alum, and Astros radio voice, Robert Ford. Robert, we'll get into the minor league aspect of things in a second. But now that you've had some time to reflect on it, how does it feel to have had a front-row seat to such an amazing and in so many ways historic season?
1: I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it.
0: I mean, it's absolutely
1: incredible. You never know uh, if you'll ever get an opportunity to to be a part uh, of a team that has a season like the Astros did. Uh, from a broadcasting standpoint, you just—I mean—you have no control over that. You don't you don't really know, you know, how things are going to go. I mean, obviously I knew the Astros were a very good team coming into the season and, uh, and had a, had a great year. And even still, you don't know what, what's going to happen once you get to the postseason. I mean, there are a lot of really good teams that don't even get the world series, let alone win it. So, uh, there are just a lot of things that have to go right that did in addition to being a very talented team. And, To to be a part of it uh, and and be able to broadcast all those games was incredibly special. And even if I have other seasons uh, that that end in World Championships as a broadcaster, I think obviously the first one is the one you you always remember the most.
0: This might be a really easy or difficult question. What was your favorite moment to call the entire World Series run?
1: Well, there were just so many. I don't know that you could pinpoint one. I mean, I guess the obvious answer would be obviously the final out. Uh, but, but everything leading up to it. I mean, you think about how crazy game two of the World Series was. You know, the Astros were down two runs in the eighth, and then Marlon Gonzalez tied it with a home run in the ninth inning off Kenley Jansen, who, you know, was one of the best closers in baseball in 2017. And then they go on and, and win it in extra innings, a game that it looked like they were going to lose. And uh, you get out of L.A. with a split. And then obviously game five, which is uh, maybe the most epic game that I've ever. Uh, witnessed in person from from uh, a fan perspective or a broadcaster's perspective, uh, when you just think about getting down three uh, nothing uh, to Clayton Kershaw before the Astros even get to the plate, and then they're down four nothing. You know they wound up tying it. Julie hits the big home run. Dodgers go up three. Altuve hit the big three run home run to tie it, and it's just back and forth before Alex Bregman wins it in extra innings uh, with with uh, the walk-off RBI single, and, uh, you know, the, you just think about just all the different moments and just those two games alone where things could have gone differently and just how, how ex- exciting those games were in particular, uh, I mean, just just so much fun. So it's it's really hard to, to pinpoint one moment, but uh, just, just a great World Series to be a part of.
0: Well, certainly so many great calls throughout the postseason for you and your partner, Steve Sparks. You joined the Astros in 2013, and obviously that was a very different time for the team. Jeff Luna was just a couple of years into his tenure. Most of the guys we know now were either in the minors or not drafted yet. When you think back to 2013, what did you hear about the vision of what the Astros were trying to do as an organization, and especially in their minor league system?
1: Well, I had just come from covering the Kansas City Royals for four years. And in 2013, the Royals were on the cusp of finally realizing their vision, you know, with, with drafting and developing players. And, uh, you know, at the time when the Royals did it, they, you could really spend money in the draft and pay guys over slot and things like that that you can't really do anymore. Uh, but I, I saw the Royals' vision start to come to fruition before I left uh, you know, left that beat after the 2012 season. Yeah, I saw Eric Hosmer and Salvador Perez get to the big leagues. I was there when they traded for, you know, Cds Escobar and Lorenzo Cain and saw those guys continue to develop. Uh, so I saw what the Royals were doing. And, you know, even though it was before they won the World Series or even got to the World Series, uh, I, I knew, you know, had an idea of what it could look like. Uh, and, you know, the Royals wound up having a winning year in 2013, my first year with the Astros. Uh, and, and obviously had greater success after that. So, going into the situation with the Astros, I had an idea of what a rebuild looks like. Uh, now, granted, when I covered the Royals, they, they had not torn down quite to the level that the Astros had. You know, they still spent a little bit of money on some free agents and, and things like that, but, you know, the Astros in 2013, I mean, it was it was completely rock bottom, and, I mean, it was evidence of the, of the way things went, losing 111 games, but... You know, we, we knew about the guys in the farm system. We pay a lot more attention to the farm system then because that's what you were talking about. I mean, you could only talk about the Major League team so much because the Major League team was so bad. Uh, you, you you wanted to talk about, hey, this is where the future is. This is this is what Astros fans have to look forward to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had an idea of what could happen, but you, you still don't know. I mean, okay, yeah, George Springer was a great prospect, but what is he going to do once he gets to the big league? Same thing with... Carlos Correa or any of the other prospects, you don't really know until you see the guys play at the big league level. And a lot of times it takes guys a, a few years to establish themselves if they ever do. Ash was a very fortunate you know, that Springer, I mean, he still had some developing to do, but he was an impact player right away. Same thing with Carlos Correa. Uh and 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 you know, that that helped turn things around a, a little quicker than you might have seen otherwise
0: I agree with that it's one thing to have young talent but it's a whole nother thing for that young talent to blossom as quickly as the Astros have had their stars become I've heard you say before that patience has been such a key part of what the Astros have become those first couple of seasons did you feel that sense of patience around the club
1: well yes and no I mean
0: even though you know what the plan is you still get frustrated when you
1: you're broadcasting games for a team that most days doesn't really have a chance at winning uh, unless everything goes perfectly. Uh, I mean, obviously, you you know, I think it's a little easier to be detached as a broadcaster just because you have no control over what happens on the field. But at the same time, sometimes that leads to more frustration because you don't have that control. And you're like, man, how come this, this doesn't work out better. Uh, But yeah, I, I knew, what I was getting myself into and I was happy to be broadcasting big league games. You know, it was my first play-by-play job. You know, 2013 was my first year as a major league baseball play-by-play announcer. So it was still exciting. And uh, whether the Astros are good or not, yeah, obviously you like to have good players on your team, but it's still fun watching talented players on other teams. And I've always enjoyed that part of it, even as a fan growing up, you know, I still like watching talent on other teams. So yeah, it was still fun uh, and still enjoyable, and believe me, I, I wouldn't trade any of that for anything, even if, you know, I mean, I, you know, enjoy being a big league broadcaster regardless of whether a team won a World Series or not. Uh, obviously, it's more enjoyable when a team wins than when it doesn't, uh, but yeah, you you knew what was coming, uh, but I mean, there, you had no choice really, especially as a broadcaster, to to just kind of wait and just hope that things worked out, and it was nice to see the tide start to turn.
0: I know that you and Sparky have a quick around-the-minor segment every night, but how important is keeping up with the minor leagues in your day-to-day preparation, and how do you do that day-to-day?
1: I think it it depends on where your team is, where your organization is. So 2013-2014, when the Astros weren't as good, uh, you, you were looking toward the future. You pay a little bit more attention to what's going on in the minor leagues, and you talk more about it. Um, you know that was true too when I covered the Royals in Kansas City. You know, I was I felt like I knew who Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas, and Salvador Perez were before they even showed up in Kansas City because I had been following their progression to the big leagues uh, up until that point. And I think it's the same thing. You know when I when I got over to the Astros, uh, so you pay a, you pay a lot more attention to the minor leagues. Uh, at least I do when the team's not very good. Uh, when the team is winning at the big league level you still pay attention to what's going on at the minor leagues, but not nearly as closely. I definitely don't pay as much attention now to what's going on in, in uh, Fresno or in Corpus Christi uh, or at some of the lower levels as, as I did before. One thing that, that's definitely been true for me is I pay, the, I pay most attention to AA and AAA just because those are the levels that are most likely to, to help the soonest. Uh, and you know, I, and also you know, you always hear about the jump. And I've broadcast Double A baseball about the jump from A-ball to Double A, how that's the second hardest jump in baseball, uh, you know, only to going from Triple A to the big league. So uh, if guys are producing at Double A, I feel like, all right, this is somebody who has a chance to maybe help the Astros in the near future. And obviously, the same could be true if a guy produces at the Triple A level. So I pay more attention to the upper levels of the system. I don't pay as much attention. Uh, to A-ball and below uh, just because, you know, you have so many other things to focus on with the major league club that uh, I think it's a lot easier to just focus on those top two levels, at least it is for me, when the team is playing well.
0: I've seen you in the booth. You have such great preparation with notes, storylines, numbers, a tremendous amount of info on every player for the Astros and their opponents. If you can, take us through what's most vital in your day-to-day prep as a broadcaster.
1: I don't know that it's one thing. I think it's more about when you start prepping and recognizing that uh, it doesn't start with that day's game. Uh, like earlier today, I was getting putting together information about the Milwaukee Brewers, who the Ashers are going to see in two exhibition games at Minute Maid Park at the end of spring training. Uh, you know the, the, the preparation starts now. It starts in the off season uh, and, it, and it's an ongoing thing. And I've always been the sort of person, you know, going back to my days as a student, I was never good at cramming. I was never somebody who was good at, you know, staying up all night to study for a test or, you know, just studying for five or six hours straight. I was never somebody who could, who was really built that way. What I was good at was, you know, just if I knew, I knew if I paid attention in class the whole time and and took notes the entire time, and then just kind of reviewed them before before any exams. I usually did pretty well, and I, I've taken that same approach to my preparation. So I do, you know, a little bit each day over the course of the off season, and you know, it all adds up over the course of a year. Uh, and then once you get to the regular season, you've done a lot of that heavy lifting already because you've just been gradually progressing and gradually getting more and more information and building up your database of of player information and team information. So then by the time you get to the season and by the time you get to any particular game, you already have a a large reservoir of information that you can rely on at your fingertips. And then it's just a matter of preparing for each game and updating your notes over the course of the season uh, and and doing the things that that just keep you informed as as the year goes on. But I think the biggest thing is, to understand the preparation doesn't start that day or doesn't even just start with the beginning of the regular season. The preparation starts in the
0: offseason. Getting back to the minor leagues, I got a chance to see J.D. Davis, who began the year with the Hooks, make his big league debut in August, and I thought that was really cool. You kind of saw that sparkle in his eye, that first day in the big leagues, and it really opened my eyes to what it means for these guys. What's that been like to watch so many guys over the last five years adjust from the minors to the big leagues because it's obviously such a big jump in so many different ways
1: well it's always exciting for me when guys get to the big leagues for the first time uh you get a chance to just say hello to them and congratulate them I mean I always always like doing that and I'm always so happy for those guys uh because I mean this is something that they've been dreaming about their whole lives it's something all of us or a lot of us you know had hoped we would one day be a Major League Baseball player, but only a handful of us uh, even get close to that. So just getting to the big leagues is, is huge. Uh, and, and I recognize that, and I try to never forget that uh, for those guys. Uh, but, yeah, it is fun watching guys progress and, and seeing how they develop over the course of a season and seeing if they get better. And Obviously, it's disappointing when guys struggle and, and don't figure it out at the, at the big league level. Uh, but it's all—it's so much that makes it so much better when when the light bulb does come on and when guys do figure it out and when guys do start to produce, especially guys that have come up in your system that you know you've you've seen in, in major league games in spring training and uh, you know maybe seeing them here or there in, in other scenarios and to see them start to figure it out and become productive major league players, I mean that's that's really cool.
0: Speaking of that journey from the minors to the big leagues, you spent seven seasons in the minors. began your career in the Independent Frontier League, same place I started, shout out to the Gateway Grizzlies in Sojay, eventually went on to the Binghamton Mets for a number of years. How do you describe that journey from starting in indie ball to now being a broadcaster who's called the World Series title? What's that feel like?
1: Well, my first year was actually in the Northwest League, in Yakima, Washington, at the Yakima Bears in 2002, and then I went to independent ball in the Frontier League in Kalamazoo, Michigan for two years uh, before going to Binghamton. Uh, I mean, when I started doing this in 2002, obviously I was just excited to get a chance to call baseball for a living, and also I was just trying to figure out what the heck I was doing. And you know, try to figure out how to prepare for games and and all that stuff. I mean, I didn't know any of that really when I started, and I just had to kind of learn. It was really a baptism by fire. And it just try to get better year after year. And 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 you know, got to independent ball, and that was a great opportunity for me after being in, in short season ball for a year, and then uh, going there after being there for two years in the Frontier League, getting to Double uh, A to the Eastern League, and and once I got to double A, that was when I really started to think, you know, I might have a chance to be a, a big league broadcaster. I mean, I, I thought, I, you know, that there was a possibility. But once I got to double A, it was like, all right, you know, just kind of like the players, even though it's a little different for broadcasters, but kind of like the players, you know, you're two steps from the big leagues. Uh, and so I felt like I was in a better position to get a big league job in Binghamton than I was before that. Uh, and so then once I got to Binghamton, I, I really started to uh, – Feel like I had an idea of what I was doing in terms of prep, prepping for games and and broadcasting, and started sending my demos to major league teams and 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 trying to get some feedback from people. And had a few people who were very helpful. Uh, and but still, you also know that there are a lot of talented broadcasters who never get a chance to call big league games because there are only 30 big league teams, and you know, depending on how you count them, 30 to 40 of these types of jobs that are available. Uh, and most of the people who get these jobs stay in them for a very long time, uh, and it's really hard to break in. So I just knew that I wanted to put myself in the best position to get a big league job. Uh, and then I, you know, I had the opportunity to cover the Royals, even though it wasn't play-by-play. That, that was big. Get a chance to be around a big league team on a daily basis, and, and got to do that for four years. And you know, getting the Astros job was, was really a dream come true, and still is my dream job, uh, and has been a lot of fun. And You know, when you start off in the minor leagues, you're just hoping to just continue to progress, and you're hoping maybe one day you get to the big leagues. Then, when you get to the big leagues, you know, you hope, hey, maybe one day I'll get a chance to call a team that that wins a World Series or even just gets to a World Series. That'd be pretty exciting. But again, so much of that is just out of your control. Uh, But but I do think about the journey that I've been on and all the people who've helped me along the way and, and all the different places I've been. Uh, and all the different games that I've called in, in different scenarios. And it's pretty neat, and it's also cool uh, to hear from so many different people from your past after, you know, first the Astros getting to the World Series and then winning the World Series, people I hadn't heard from in a very long time, uh, you know, I knew in the minor leagues or even before that, uh, you know, who were who were happy for me and excited for me. And, and that just that made it even more special and made me even reflect even more on uh, just just – how far I've come.
0: One thing that stood out to me in my time watching guys in the minors is that it's truly such a hard and long journey for most guys to make it to the big leagues, from guys playing in independent ball through first round picks. Would you agree that watching minor league baseball for so long makes you appreciate that journey and the work it takes to become among a select few that make it to the big leagues? That That is such a hard thing, and I don't know that uh, fans in general really understand how unlikely it is to become a big leaguer.
1: Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, even being at Double A and just thinking about all the guys I saw my four years in the Eastern League with Binghamton, who either I thought, "Man, this guy has a chance to be a really good big league player," who who didn't pan out at all, or guys who I didn't think much of at the time, and on to becoming very good big league players and and having you know substantial big league careers. There's just, it's just such an inexact science. There's just so many things that that you just don't know. It is it is so hard to predict who's going to do well and and who's not. I mean obviously you can have an idea, uh, but even when you talk, it is not just me. Even just talking to scouts, I mean, it can it can be really hard to know sometimes, and and there's just a lot of things that you just can't figure out. Uh, but that's also what makes it a lot of fun. Uh, but it definitely being in the minor leagues definitely has given me an appreciation. And
0: yeah, honestly,
1: conditions have gotten a lot better uh, in the minor league since I was there. When you think about the, the greater enf- emphasis on nutrition and on uh, properly taking care of your bodies, I mean, that's definitely uh, a greater point of emphasis now than it was uh, when I was in the minor leagues. You know, my last year in the minor leagues was 2008. Uh, And and just in the the last 10 years, it's, you know, increased a lot and and the standards and the conditions have increased so much, but it's still the minor league and it's still not the big leagues. And in addition to trying to get to the big leagues and and improve on the field, you have to figure out how to take care of yourself and, and make adjustments. I mean, there are just so many things that go into getting to the big leagues beyond just the talent. Uh, and also just beyond the, the hard work of, uh, aspect of it as well. Sometimes, you know, I hear from guys all the time how they just had that, that one coach who just happened to say the right thing at the right time, right when they needed to cure it, and then everything just kind of clicked for them after that. I mean, you just there's just so many things you can't account for, and that's what makes it so much fun. But definitely having been in the minor leagues, uh have such a great appreciation for that time, and it definitely gives gave me a greater appreciation for how hard it is uh, to get to the major leagues.
0: This season, the Astros will do something they've never done before, and that's try to defend a World Series title. Still a lot of time before spring training, and a lot of things could happen, but at this moment, in your mind, what are the one or two biggest storylines for the Astros heading into 2018?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the biggest storyline is, is can they do it, especially knowing every team is, is, is going to be looking at the Astros. The Astros are going to have a bullseye on their back. Uh, everybody who plays them is going to be trying to give them their absolute best because they know not only are the Astros the defending champions, but also they, they have most of them back of their key players and, and are in a good position to do it again. Uh, so I think that's number one how the Astros handle uh, the expectation that comes to being a, a, a defending champion. Uh, and, and I think the other part of it is you know, how how do guys uh, build upon what they did last year? You know, I mean, Marlon Gonzalez, was that a, just a career year for him, or is that more along the lines of what we can expect to see? You know, our George Springer, I mean, can he stay healthy the entire year and continue to, to put up the numbers he did? You know, Justin Verlander, how's he going to do in a full season with the Astros? And I think, you know, just all those things, I mean, you can think you know, you think you have an idea of how guys are going to do based on what they've done in the past. But there are always guys who uh, underperform, and there are always guys who perform above expectations, and you just kind of don't know how that's going to play out until the season gets going. Uh, But it's exciting. I mean, it's always exciting getting ready for a baseball season, but obviously knowing what this team did last year and knowing what they're capable in in 2018 uh, just makes it that much more fun.
0: Well, Robert, thanks so much for doing this, and congratulations on a tremendous 2017 with the Astros. By the end of this month, spring training will be just around the corner. Can't wait to hear the broadcast. Enjoy the rest of the off season. All right. Thanks, Sam. Good talking to you. That'll do it for Houston We Have Prospects. Again, if you have any suggestions of who we should have on next, you can always let me know on Twitter, Sammy Lev at S-A-M-M-Y-L-E-V. Talk to you next time, and thanks for listening.